It is a celebration. We finally got what we asked for. Larry Scott is gone from the Pac-12, and we have a date. Washington loses their defensive coordinator to Texas. Who should be the next Pac-12 commissioner, and how should they divvy up the job? And also, what's up with the media contracts? I'm George Reister, he's Ralph Amsden, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The Pac-12 Apostles is the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans, where you come to get the real, you come to get the truth, and you come to get entertained. And we are not going to sugarcoat things, we keep it 100 all the time. It is very important that you guys share the podcast, tell a friend about the podcast, and most importantly, subscribe and tell a friend you guys can also get a hold of us shoot us an email i'm mad i am mad at unafraidshow.com you can hit us up on twitter at pack 12 apostles or at george reister at ralph amson and we will absolutely get back to you so ralph we heard the news about mike michael larry scott larry michael scott and it was absolutely outstanding what was your reaction i i just laughed i i just laughed what else can you do because it was um i mean it was an eventful day uh we had that wasn't the only president that got replaced and so you know i I think you and i had talked that i was just kind of settling in trying to watch some television and 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 uh, wind down after after a, a long day and to have that come across the phone was just like oh man here we go so i was just glued to my screen for the rest of the night because i knew that so many people had waited so long for this and i, I just i kind of um to me it was it was long overdue and also he's still going to be around for six more months that he doesn't deserve uh so you know i was more just absorbing the joy of others i spent a lot of time um just laughing at the stuff that other people were saying and i even tweeted at the pac-12 account that i'm sorry for whatever social media employee was going to have to pretend that there weren't two thousand replies all celebrating that their boss was getting canned and i underestimated it by far because i think i think it ended up being between the original report from sports business journal uh and the pac-12 announcement i think it was probably closer to like five thousand. yeah that's a lot of people and none of them said which words ralph uh bummer (laughs) (laughs) dude so So the news, when I heard the news, it immediately scared me more than anything else, because it's like one of those things in life where you wish for something, you hope for something, and you're like, all right, I want this so bad. I want this more than anything in the whole world. And you've been wanting it for so long, and it seems unattainable. And then it's like, what happens if you get it? You know, like, what (laughs) happens if the car? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like what what happens if all your dreams come come true? So I mean, that's it, that's interesting. Now, that's interesting because you and I talked about. It. I said I couldn't find. I went through hundreds, if not a thousand, responses to this on social media, and I even jumped over to the toxic sludge pit that is Facebook um, to read some of their their responses as well. And the only thing that I could find that wasn't uh, jubilation was uh, a few people commented. This is only good if they don't screw it up. Exactly. That's that's why I was saying is that it's scary because I was like, oh, my God. So now you got an opportunity and you cannot screw it up. Like this is literally the Pac-12's last opportunity. I mean, this is when you are in high school and you need a certain SAT score to get into your, your school. This is, you know... Um, one free throw game down. No, no, no. You got two free throws down one point. Everybody's fouled. You know, like it's bottom of the ninth full count. You're down. It's a tie game or you're down a run. Actually you're down two runs with the bases loaded basically. (laughs) So, 
So a base hit scores too, because everybody's going to be running. A base hit scores too. So you have an opportunity, but this cannot be blown. I mean, th this is like, if you look back on it, Larry Scott was a grifter, grifted $40 million out of the Pac-12. So I don't feel bad for him because he has a golden parachute. He's probably going to get another five and a half million too. But the part that really struck me the most was his arrogance and audacity just to try to spin this again because he sent emails to the athletic directors and some other people at the universities saying that this was a mutual parting of ways. The people okay, I talked to uh, a month ago, George, a month ago, he was saying we were six months away from him getting into contract extension discussions. That's what he said. That's not what I, I was re relaying what he said, because he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to be talking about a new contract in a couple months. But when you talk to people like Larry, uh, like John Wilner, Canzano, everybody was like, OK, the timeline for this, that a decision actually needed to be made by March or April. That way, then they can get the new pre the new uh, commissioner in, get them prepped so then they can figure out a strategy going forward with the media rights and the negotiations. So. I just thought that. Uh, like, what did you think about the fact that he sent an email saying that this was mutual? It, it, uh, it absolutely is not because we have like when you talk to the media, it's on record. You can't just gaslight all of the time. You can't do <laughs> stuff like that. He just got done saying that he was very much looking forward to his extension conversations. Just got done saying it. We talked about it on this podcast. We dedicated quite a bit of energy to it. And so for you to say that that's mutual, a mutual parting of ways when you were just talking about your extension, no. Like, absolutely not. That is that is not in any way what you were expecting or planning for or angling for. And also... Why would you agree with this? Why would it be good for you? It's not. He was yeah, and, and, he, and he was like, yeah, it would be perfect. Me and my family can spend more time together. I got some extra time. He'd been like, in he, his house with his family for a whole year. <laughs> He's been working from home. Exactly. Nobody, nobody, nobody in America can give the excuse of I want to spend more time with my family for quitting a job in the year 2021. If anything, people are going to be taking jobs so they can spend less time with their family. Yes. Remember Dude. his kids turned his office into their video game room. Yeah. And he's like, I want to spend more time with my family, bro. You've had all the time in the world with your family. Like how long could those calls with Pacific seafood have lasted? You tell me you spend 16 hours a day every day on the phone with Pacific Seafood? No. Uh, hell no. Nobody believes you. So, okay. So what was Larry Scott's biggest crime as commissioner? Oof. that That's subjective. Um, that's very subjective because okay, here, working here, in sports here. media, working in sports media, everything for me is going to come back to the fact that you made your low-level employees work in the most expensive city in America. And like that's bad enough. But then the way you treated them by not building a successful product and ultimately the way you treated them by taking a bonus and laying them off, all of that is garbage. So it's not just, ha ha, he was a clown. It, he was absolutely a villain at times. Okay, so I would say that I would agree that his biggest crime because the the people matter more than the actual football, right? Like 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 the football is second to like if you're an employer that the business is second to the the people and how you treat them. Because that kind of affects your business as well. So, I would say the the way he treated the employees, the especially the lower level non-six-figure employees at the Pac-12 that 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 that's his biggest crime but in terms of crimes against the conference I would say paying seven million dollars in rent 
which has equated to about $90 million, over $90 million in rent that they would have paid for a building, in a building that they're not the only tenant of, that right after they signed the lease was sold for $90 million. The building was sold for $90 million. You could have literally, because me and my wife have bought and sold buildings, you need about 30% down on commercial real estate. So uh, it was sold for $90 million right after they bought it, partially because of the rent that they signed, because on commercial buildings, it's not like a, a, a house where people rent it out for whatever they want. Well, the value uh, and like on a, and on a house, the value of the house is not based upon the rent. In a commercial building, the value of a building is based upon the rents that it can collect. So, so let's say, so part of the reason why the building was valued at $90 million was because they had a $7 million rent from the PAC 12. So let's say that the building was already worth 90 million, even though it wasn't already $90 million, they would have needed $27 million to put down somewhere in between like 23 and $27 million to put down to buy the building which they could have done knowing that they were going to pay $27 million in rent each and every year. So that's one crime. The Another crime is the fact that there was no TV deal done with the major distri distributor like DirecTV or uh, any of the streaming services. They were on Sling only in 18 million homes. That's another crime. Uh, the, the third crime would be trying to put Olympic sports on the same plane as football. Like, and, and the a fourth crime would be the officiating the trust. So out of those Ralph, which is the biggest crime? Um, well, uh, the, the, the officiating turned into a massive scandal that, um, you know, that, that took away, uh, one of your teams, if I'm not mistaken, that officiating issue prevented Washington State from having a crack at the playoff. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? That 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 year, if Washington State had gotten that victory against USC, which they deserved, uh, when no, 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 they would have gone to the. Oh, okay. So Washington didn't even Washington State didn't even get a New Year's Six Bowl game that year. That was the problem. Okay, um, but had they beaten USC, I think that I, I don't know. I, I here's here, my I have a bunch of issues. I'll pull it up, and I I outlined them uh, today. Uh, one, he announced that they were looking for a private equity partner, set himself up to fail massively and publicly over a two-year span. So that was just another thing that he didn't do correctly. He failed to manufacture uh, faith in the officiating. They consistently made hires and brought people in to let to let you know that they understood the officiating was a problem, but it never ended up being enough. They structured kickoff times under his watch in a way that proved ruinous for attendance. Absolutely ruinous. Attendance dropped across the conference, and a big reason for that is there was absolutely no tradition. Games were on Thursdays. Games were on Fridays. Games were at 9 p.m. Games were at 9 a.m. It was ridiculous. He tried to bribe a journalist. He cost people their careers over the rent costs of the building being in San Francisco, and they were out there uh, scrounging, trying to find a way to live in the most expensive city in the entire world, and then they didn't even have job security under his watch. Recruiting overall suffered on his watch. The failure of the Pac-12 to to be able to be available in homes uh, devalued the brand and caused some of the best players in the history of the state of California, history of the state of Washington, in the history of the state of Oregon, in the history of the state of Arizona to completely bail on um, Pac-12 schools. He, uh, he Head coaches were consistently poached on his watch. In the last three years, we have three head coaches that were pulled by uh, the ACC, the the SEC, um, and I believe the the Big Ten, uh, all because they had more resources for coaches 
and assistance. Aunt Becky went to prison on his watch for a scandal that I am very surprised never ended up dirtying his shoes because it was multiple schools all across the Pac-12 lying about athletics uh, to allow people to get into their schools of choice. And there was an element of race involved with that. And none of that uh, affected him in some way. Um, networks did not need to be convinced to air live sports at all. Live sports were their life support. And they were begging conferences to take the money in exchange for broadcast rights. And we ended up with a network uh, only in 18 million homes and running up against Grey's Anatomy on Thursday nights. Um, he... Uh, everybody knew that they would follow the big 10 out of the season and back into the season. And they did it. They surprised absolutely no one. And they got mocked for it. Um, then the, when the players formed their own coalition and it got his attention, the players actually walked away feeling like Larry Scott was their biggest hurdle and enemy, not because he was opposed to it, but because he was disinterested and just couldn't grasp it as a human being. Um, every single time, a change needed to be made in the conference. They dropped a bunch of cash to a crony consulting firm of a friend of his, even though they had plenty of employees in the conference and it's their idea or it's their job to come up with um, ideas. It, it was just, it, Oh my gosh, it, it is crazy to me. And then at the, at the end of all of it, his salary, his salary was such that a PAC 12 school couldn't afford to hire him as a head coach. That's cr- wow. I didn't even think about that. Like think he would be what the highest paid coach in the Pac-12? Yes. The 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 only person that can that maybe even above him is Clay Helton. Or yeah. or um, and I'm not sure. I don't know if we know Clay Helton's salary or, just because or, of the uh... or David Shaw. That that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Those are the only people that could be above him. And he made more than Clay Helton. Um, Clay Helton makes 4.6 million and David Shaw makes 4.3. So no, he, he, he more total compensation than both of them because he was supposedly the head of the network and the conference. Yeah. But isn't, isn't that the biggest, okay. So going forward though, what has to happen because the, Oh, okay. So let's let let's back up for a second. How did this even happen? How did he get removed? The so the turnover, right? Over time, we only have one person that's been standing in the way the last few years. Yeah, and that is Michael Crow at Arizona State. So how this happened? There was no vote apparently. That, but they would have had enough votes to make a change. But all the CEOs they decided that they were going to make a change, and. Michael Schill at Oregon is kind of the, the the head person of all the CEOs at this point in point in time. And it's interesting is that you have out of all the schools, you have the Pac-12 schools that are the most powerful at this point in time, which is which is quite interesting. Is that it sorry, you have the North schools that are the most powerful and instead of it being the South schools and they all have new presidents, new athletic directors, all of that. And I think that they saw like, hold up, this isn't going to work. So I would say, but okay. So going forward, there's an option. You can either have a commissioner. Well, I actually, the, the first thing you have to do is hire a commissioner They've already said that they're not going to have a salary that's like what you what you've been having because Larry Scott was at over five million dollars plus the one point nine million dollar loan that he hadn't paid back. Um, Then Kevin Warren at the Big Ten is four point five million. Bob Bowsley at the Big Twelve, four million. John Swafford at the ACC, three point eight million. And Greg Sinke at the SEC, two point six million dollars. It's insane to me that this dude is making this kind of money, but he says he's doing two jobs. So going forward, the Pac-12 has to decide, are they going to, what are they going to do with the Pac-12 networks? Are they going, because this can't be a dual job. Like you need a TV expert and a commissioner, or 
just sign a TV deal where you give up part of the ownership and let the TV people do all the work like TV people do. So what do you think is the optimal scenario? I think to me, to me, this is the optimal scenario. Position yourself. If you need a leg up, if you need a boost, if you need to catch up to the other conferences, this is what you need to do. You need to dedicate the energy and the funding and the resources that come in from the Pac-12 network to finding a way to promote your athletes in a way that nobody else does. And so what I think you do is you take all of your equipment you distribute it amongst the schools that want to uh, take part in a new venture. You are moving anyway, so you don't need a studio anymore. You got to get the hell out of uh, out of the Bay Area, come to uh, Las Vegas, or come to Phoenix. Um, do one of those two things. Find some cheap real estate, and then instead of the Pac-12 network, you need these journalism schools like Annenberg at USC and Cronkite at Arizona state and, and stuff like that. You need to give them the resources and the tools to produce content for your network that is athlete centric. So you are using your network to tell the story of your athletes to help them build a brand for name, image, and likeness. There are people out there that could run this that would do an incredible job. Paula Boyvin, longtime Arizona columnist who is now on the college football playoff selection committee, could run this. She already works at Cronkite. She already is uh, uh, head of a lot of the student journalism programs that are there you tell you use the resources that you have to tell the stories of the athletes in your school you sell off broadcast rights to people who can do it correctly if you can if you can produce your own uh broadcasts from uh the school level i would i'd be open to the idea of giving away broadcasts for free and streaming them on facebook or on twitter or on yahoo for the time being just to build up an audience to be able to turn around and make sure that selling off the broadcast rights will be worth something in the future you got to start from scratch you absolutely have to start from scratch See, I, I do think that you do have to take a grassroots approach, but I think even on top of that, that getting on network TV is the answer because that's what the NFL has done. The NFL has proven the model. They stay on network television despite being able to get more money from uh, streaming services. They still stay on network television. They could get more to go on their Sunday day games on Amazon or Apple TV or some other streaming. But instead of that, they say, nope, we are going to stay on NBC, ABC, CBS in the mornings. And then our premium games, Thursday night, Sunday night football. and Well, actually not even Sunday night football. Uh, Thursday night football and Monday night football. We can then do some premium add on there. So. That means that with all the air out of the room that the SEC has taken up by that with that huge ESPN contract where they're going to be pretty much all the SEC games now are going to be on ABC and ESPN. There's aside from the Pac-12 playing 9 a.m. games or Pac-12 after dark games, there's not going to be any more room really on ESPN. So aside from that, then Fox is going to do the same thing with the Big Ten because they own half of the Big Ten. And so the Pac-12 has to go to CBS and to NBC. That's what they have to do. They're going to have to take less money to get more availability to build back out. That's would the you, only option at this point. Would you would you go to a place like Google and pitch them on the idea of exclusive rights on YouTube TV with free free rebroadcast directly onto YouTube. Yes. See. See now. See now. That's kind of uh, fast forward. I mean, uh, forward thinking too, is to get on YouTube TV and Hulu TV. Those are the answers. Like like these are the kind of answers. So you either have to go to network TV, or you have to go straight streaming where where you where you're aggressively knowing that cord cutters are available. And the cool part about CBS is, or NBC is, is that they have, NBC has the Peacock app and CBS has the uh, the uh, CBS app. 
which a lot of people use because they only have digital street. They have some shows that are literally just digitally streamed on there. So if you go that route, there is opportunity. So and you have to be willing to seize that opportunity if you get it. Yeah, I think I think Pac-12 Network needs to be re- I, I think broadcasts need to be done by people who can actually do these broadcasts. Um, and I think the Pac-12 Network needs to be rebranded down into one channel that solely exists to produce content to promote these players. And so if you are out at the schools and you as a program can actually invest in a couple of media liaisons, and I know some great ones who used to work for grassroots at Adidas, um, like Zach Soskin and, and guys like that, that they could come and consult and show you like, Hey, let's get some of your more charismatic players who would want to make their own YouTube show. Let's get a couple of editors on staff at these schools to edit down the, the stuff that you do with your players and let's put their YouTube shows up on PAC 12 network. That way you could have somebody who like when they become a massive phenomenon, like uh, Caitlin Ohashi at, at, at UCLA, that she could be able to capitalize on something like that. The network could buy that from her. And in the same vein, promote her. You could be a pioneer in this space. There's a bunch of red tape that I don't even begin to be able to understand. But the fact that nobody has gotten the ball rolling on something like this is absolutely absurd. You need a leg up. And in order to get a leg up, you have to promote the players. You have to be able to keep the talent that is in your uh, regional footprint inside your regional footprint so that you have the ability to ultimately compete because talent is destiny, both from the executive level of the Pac-12 as well as the talent that actually takes the field for these various teams. And I feel like the West Coast is the best coast. We have enough here to get the job done if if it can stay. And we have some of the most innovative minds in business as well. And yet they bring in a, a, a 500 tennis player from New York into Silicon Valley uh, who nobody out there takes seriously. And it is completely ridiculous. And if anyone on earth, Michael Crow included, thinks that anybody will think back on his tenure as anything other than falling short of the mark, they are sorely mistaken. Oh, they, you had a couple people, a guy on Twitter told, told me, it was like, well, he did bring more money into the conference than they had ever seen. Well, yes. Well, anybody who negotiated a new deal was going to do that. The issue is that, is that there was no foresight. Like, why would you agree for all of your, to the majority of your games on ESPN to be at shitty times? Oh, no, like, it's, it's simple, George. If your family needed water to live and there was a riverbank that you had to march down to in order to scoop up that water to bring back to your family, you have four conferences that are taking a five-gallon jug and one that's bringing a thimble. That's what you have. So, like, the water is just there. It's it's available for everyone. You have one conference commissioner who is going to the water the same as everybody else and coming back with less. So, yeah, you're getting water, but look what everybody else is doing. And it's not like he couldn't have picked up a jug either. Facts. <laughs> Dude, there's nothing to argue about there. It's a loser move. He did the bare minimum. Like, there, like there's nobody... I don't even understand how anybody, well, actually there was one person because you said you did your Google search about Larry Scott did a good job. And <laughs> there was only one tweet found in nine years, but the next morning you wake up and there was, and, and here goes another one. Yeah. I, I, I made a joke about how I did a Twitter search for the phrase, the exact phrase, Larry Scott did a good job. And the only tweet that I could find was from 2011. And it had to do with some negotiations with NBC that never, that, that ultimately ended up turning out bad. If I, if I remember correctly. Um, and so, <laughs> and so um, after making that joke, I, I wake up uh, this morning and Michael Crow, the president of Arizona State at nine this morning, writes, Larry Scott has done a great job bringing the Pac-12 into the 21st century uh, and has built a great foundation for taking the conference forward. We wish Larry all the best in his next ventures. And that made me snap. I quote tweeted him with some nonsense and then people jumped into his mentions and it is fully 
Uh, every, it is 100% negative. We're talking about like 50, 60 replies to the president of Arizona State. Um, and the, my favorite of them was from someone named Tommy Swans. And it just said, he was dog shit, Mike. And the, the But he wants to... Th- this is where we get into the political lane, right? Which is one of my problems with politicians a lot of times is that the idea that you want to protect the person in your party or the person that you were, who you laid down with, instead of just calling a spade a spade and wrong, wrong. You, he, my, uh, Michael Crow, president of Arizona state, he just didn't even need to say anything. No, it's like one of those tweets. Nobody, nobody ever. No, Michael Crow. You played, you played professional football. You know, the difference between the way a GM and a head coach treat a first round pick and a fifth round pick that mm-hmm. and it is as transparent as a jellyfish. What Michael Crow was doing here. He was trying to give some credit to his first round pick, but his first round pick is Dwayne Haskins. His ass <laughs> needs to be cut loose. Yeah. And you, and you have to be able to say, uh, you're, you're right. We're, we're ready to, to, to do something new, but no, Michael Crow was the one who stood in the way. Michael Crow mocked people who didn't think Larry Scott was right for the job. consistently anytime it was brought up for the last few years mocked them now he is in the extreme minority and he ventured uh, out to say something positive about something someone that literally no one with any object and i've reached the point where i'm beyond objectivity so i won't include myself in this but literally no one with any objective sense and any ability to take a comparative analysis of the major conferences all across the country would agree that larry scott did a great job bringing the pac-12 into the 21st century no one would agree with that so what michael crow is telling you is you're wrong you are not smart enough to see it the way he sees it and maybe I'm just being oversensitive, but that's the way I'm receiving it. Is he is Michael Crow in his repeated defenses is saying, you're just not smart enough to see the big picture. And so I take that as well. You're calling me dumb. Well, guess what? Then we're all dumb. All of us are dumb. Like, yeah. It, it, this, and this isn't a food opinion, Michael. It's not like one person likes pickles and 3,000 people don't like pickles, and it's a matter of taste. It's 3,000 people don't like having less than everybody else when the mistakes that he makes are so obvious and his litany of errors are easily recitable as the ABCs. And you don't seem to feel the same way. You're in the wrong. You are objectively incorrect, Michael Crow. There's nothing to disagree with there, buddy. There is nothing to disagree with there with you there. Um, I would say, all right. So, I was a little bit surprised because I had been concerned whether they were going to off him or not. But the fact that they bit the bullet and are going to pay the potentially $5.5 million, it just showed, I think, the urgency in the move needing to be made because the new commissioner is going to need to be creative, passionate, and understand that football is king. Stop trying to pacify everybody else. No, you get football right first, and then you figure out everything else for everybody else. So some of the names that we've heard kind of thrown around are Ray Anderson from the athletic director at Arizona State, but then he'll he'll hire Herm Evers to be his second in command. Um, Greg Byrne, Jill Cohen, the uh, athletic director at Washington, Rob Mullins, athletic director at Oregon, or Rick Neuheisel, um, which which I thought was an interesting one. So out of those five names, who would you lean towards initially? Like who who would be your first phone call? Because obviously it matters what they say and how they interview and all that, but who would your first phone call be to? My first phone call would be to Alabama Athletic Director Greg Byrne to tell him, no, thank you, you are not being considered. Uh, <laughs> that that's that would be my first phone call. I've seen a lot of people say that he would do a really good at Arizona, right? He was at Arizona, and there were several, several, several scandals left in his wake when he um, and none that he had any direct involvement with. But ultimately, when you're the head of an athletic department, it all falls at your feet. And he had an issue; he had a massive issue with a, a couple of weirdos suing Josh Pasternak, the the former um, 
basketball coach who ultimately I think ended up at Memphis over some soup. Google that very weird stuff. Rich Rod's affair and him getting sued uh, and the whole like culture of uh, nonsense that was going on with the football program. And then you don't even want to know what was going on in their track program because it was mm-hmm. legitimately criminal. And so, I, I saw it on real sports. Yeah. You don't need you. What I'm saying is, bringing him in that's what we would all be talking about we would all be talking about the fact that he never faced the music with anything that he that that was going on um at university of arizona on his watch and ultimately he's at alabama anyway right now he can be out there celebrating national championships he's he's fine so i I would ignore him of the other four names that you brought up probably the most interesting one to me is somebody who has always been open to the idea of change. And that's Ms. Cohen from, uh, from, from Washington. She seems like she has always been um, at least in recognition that there needed to be, um, there needed to be some moves made. Now, does that mean that she would be the, the, the best negotiator? I don't, necessarily know that to be true i don't think that having a figurehead and rick neuheisel would be would be um much better you don't know what his ability you know he can negotiate office fantasy football pools or whatever um but you you can't uh you you can't look it's it's weird the ray anderson thing is weird because that would seem to be a natural progression but he was also somebody who was around larry scott a bunch it seemed like they were grooming him, seemed like he never really had any opposition to anything that Larry Scott was doing. I don't want a yes man in that job. I don't want anybody who thought anything Larry Scott was doing was in any way helpful anywhere near that job. I think we might need an outsider. Like who? Because, see, see, here's the, here's the thing that I am concerned about. Because you need a professional, obviously. You need somebody who... Um, but most of all, you need somebody who is smart enough to know what they don't know and smart enough to put competent people in the positions that they need to be in. Like that is, that's the thing that I want. I want somebody who says, all right, look, I don't know everything. So guess what that means? I am going to, uh, get people who do. So okay, and well, that and that I'm going to prioritize football above everything else. Everything else. Okay, would you uh here's a question. I don't think he would be into it, but it's definitely one of the first phone calls that I personally would make. I would call John Skipper and and Dan Levitard because they're launching their whole Metal Lark Media thing and I would say, "Do you want like do, do you want to also bring the Pac-12 with you? Like, do you want that to be the cornerstone of your new media company? Mm. So I think that's what my first call would be to John Skipper. He ran ESPN. He knows absolutely everybody. And he has Dan Levitard with him, um, who I think is reinvigorated and ready to try something new. And Dan Levitard is nothing if not, all about the athletes and all about the entertainment value. Um, I would reach out to those two and say, what can we do to be a part of what you are doing, including part ownership of the PAC 12 moving forward and profits, a profit share from whatever you're able to negotiate with major networks, as well as the ability to take everything that the PAC 12 network has been and all of its resources uh, to help grow your metal arc media company as well. Yeah. Okay. Do you blew any other suggestion I had out of the water? (laughs) Because I was thinking about people and you're actually doing what the person who needs to be the commissioner needs to do, which is thinking outside of the box doing the right things, making quick and good decisions that aren't just standalone. All right. Then what about me? Hire me. God damn it. (laughs) Hey dude, dude, I would not be opposed. I would not be opposed. I can't do worse. I can't do worse. I cannot. And you would be cheaper and you would hire the right people. Like that's the thing about it. You would hire good people to be around you. So I am not mad at that. Um, the other thing though, is that Larry Scott's bad job just cost Washington, their defensive coordinator, Pete Kiwate. 
Kiewitowski? I think that's how you pronounce his name. Pete Kwiatkowski. We'll we'll say yeah. quit since that's what he did. Yeah, so he's getting at least a 50% raise to go to Texas. And when you look at the amount of coordinators in the Pac-12 that are making over a million dollars, how many is that? One? That was, that was him, correct? It was him, yeah. Yeah, and he was the only one. So, and the SEC is like 10 or something like that, 10, 11. They have a $3 million coordinator this year. The SEC does, I think. Well, well, no. Well, they the he's now the head coach of Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah, was it Sark? Yeah. All right. yeah, it was Sark. So, but they have a bunch of you know they had two million in steel, but he just got got fired too, um, and he's at Tennessee now. But but still, they're willing to pay their coaches. So Washington let their DC go. Well, actually, they didn't let him go. He walked out the door for a lateral job. I mean, it's not like he left Oregon State. Right. At a program at a program where I mean he, he they're definitely putting out pros. Yeah, they're they're putting out pros. He could have easily hung on and got a head coaching job, probably from the effort that he's put in at University of Washington. Um, I'm surprised he wasn't considered this year to go to a school that has not been good. Yeah. And he yep. has to deal with Lincoln Riley now. Yeah, and and so his idea was, ooh, I can go to Texas, and then that'll give me a better op- – first of all, I can make more money, and that'll, d- like, maybe double my, my salary or close to it. And then I can get a better job. Or is it that he potentially thinks that Washington's a sinking ship with uh, – may- maybe he doesn't believe in um, – and and Jimmy Lake either. I mean, which which do you think is more likely? Uh, I mean, he's taking. What's his background? I mean, did he did he come up under Sark? Is there some loyalty there? Obviously, the money is important. Living in Texas, in Austin, Texas, isn't that bad. Seattle's fantastic, but um, you're you're much more likely if this pandemic continues into eternity to see Big Twelve playing football games than you are the. Uh, the, the Pac-12. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I, Todd, Todd Orlando was making 1.7 under Tom Herman there. So, he, you have to assume that doubling your salary is reason enough. Yeah, but, dude, oh, oh, okay, so, yeah, he was with Coach Pete for a while. So, he was with Coach Pete um, at Boise State. He was at, so he was the Boise State. Actually, so first he started, so he played at Boise. Yeah, he played at Boise State. And then he went to go be a DB outside linebacker coach. Then Snow College, Eastern Washington, Montana State, Boise State D-line, Boise State D.C., Washington D.C. And then the co-D.C. when uh, he he voluntarily allegedly took a step back the way Jimmy Lake wouldn't leave. Right. And then Jimmy Lake gets the head coaching job and then he's the defensive coordinator. And now he's the defensive coordinator at Texas. I think that's pro I think that there's that maybe look at it that way, man, you end up working for somebody who used to work for you after you've held the same position under the same guy for 10 seasons. And and the retirement might have been kind of a surprise. So you you couple that with the money, and I think it makes plenty of sense. Maybe he maybe he doesn't want to be a head coach. Maybe he knows his stuff and he's really good at his stuff, and he's just ready for a um for a, for a new challenge and to come up financially. I mean, uh, but the your your overarching point is that if the Pac-12 wanted to afford to keep him, they couldn't. Yep. Yeah, they yeah. literally couldn't. And that's and you look at Jed Fish, the the head coach at University of Arizona, you look at the five-year contract that he signed, he is going to be making less money this year than Pete Kwiatkowski is making at Texas. Wait, r- repeat that again? Jed Fish is going to make less this year to be the head coach at University of Arizona 
than your boy Coach K, who's leaving to to uh, go to Austin, Texas, is going to be making as their defensive coordinator. There's no doubt in my mind. If he's making at least 1.8, then they'll have the same salary. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Part of the reason that Arizona State hired Herm Edwards, um, outside of the main reason that he's Ray Anderson's lifelong friend, uh, was that the initial contract would be affordable after having to pay $12 million to Todd Graham. Uh, for a buyout and they've slowly incrementally given him raises over time. Um, but they also have not been able to afford to keep certain uh, assistance. This has been happening to everybody. Mike Leach took a lateral move. He took a lateral move. He, he was so big in Pullman that he could always come back if he wants to. And he took a, he took a lateral move with considerably more resources afforded to him because he was in the SEC. Mel Tucker didn't want to leave University of Colorado. Michigan State literally made him an offer that he couldn't refuse because it wasn't about him anymore. They gave him $7 million for his assistant pool. He had the ability to generationally change lives of 20, 30 people because of that. Yep. No, you are 100% right about that. I mean, even when you look at what Mario Cristobal did when he took his new contract at Oregon, he actually took less money than the school was willing to give him to up his assistance pool. Like, because they under, he understands that that's the lifeblood of your program. And that's another situation where University of Oregon could not, even University of Oregon, even the Mighty Ducks, could not have afforded... Uh, to and not nor would they maybe have wanted to, but they could not have afforded to match the resources of of uh, the ACC and former recent national championship uh, winner Florida State in pulling their coach away after one year. So it's it this keeps freaking happening, and it's happened on Larry Scott's watch. And every time stuff like this happens, Larry Scott will say, "Isn't it exciting that we're getting new coaching blood? Isn't that a great storyline?" This is the same Larry Scott who once said it is better to have sent nine teams to bowls than to have had those teams win those bowls. <laughs> what? Yeah. He said it at a Pac-12 I, media I, day. I know, dude. They, he's a, a absolute clown. Um, it is interesting though that, so I was talking to, oh my gosh, one, one of the beta guys on Twitter today. Rob Rob Bowery, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he was talking about he he made a comment about because I noticed that how uh, Oregon is kind of the head of the Pac-12 right now, and Washington and um, Washington State are like are second and third in command in the Pac-12 in terms of ranking, seniority, all, all of that stuff. With of like Lamar. the the authority over yeah. the situation that just happened. Yeah, and he said, well. Uh, USC plays nicer than Texas does because they could stomp around the the conference and run it around the way that Texas does the Big 12. And I counter back, tell me, tell me if I'm right or wrong. I said that that used to be true, that USC used to have that ability. But I think that Oregon takes up enough air in the room now that they wouldn't be able to do what Texas does because... USC has had a fall from grace in terms of they've had scandals. They're kind of still a little bit unstable. They new new president, new athletic director that they don't have that same sway. And you have a team like Oregon who has taken up air in the room, albeit nowhere near as much room as USC has in the conference. But over the last 20 years, like they've been the, the team in the Pac-12. Well, let's give some background for people who might not know what you're talking about. The University of Texas is widely rumored and considered by anybody in the know to have an inordinate amount of power in the Big 12 conference. They they are considered like they, they if they're being a squeaky wheel, the conference will do whatever it takes to to oil it, right? That's what you're that's what you're getting at. There. Yeah. Okay, so uh, and and dis- despite the fact that they are not as successful as they used to be in recent years, the 
the conference still kowtows to University of Texas. Now, I think that you are correct that USC uh, had that ability and could again have that ability, but USC spent such a long time prostrating themselves uh, and 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 um, taking their medicine publicly for sins that weren't even really in retrospect all that terrible comparatively um, in the pantheon of college football. I think they spent so much time humbling themselves um, and eating eating crow that the uh, and then and then obviously some of the hires that they made um, uh, at athletic director and at coach like they have shown that they don't even necessarily have power over their own situation. Right. Like, um, and, and Mike bone is here with clay Helton, who was a coach that nobody wanted as far as mega donors and mega fans of USC and all the message board folks, they don't want clay Helton. Mike bone is standing by him. I'm assuming for, um, if they had the, 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 the financial ability to make a change, they probably would, which goes to show you that without those donors there and without that ability, um, it just, they, they definitely come off as old Hollywood, right? Like that at one point they had the power, but now, um, they don't. Now I'm not sure you can make the argument for Oregon to be the big swing and D <laughs> of the conference. Um, because they're also in a situation where they had a coach just walk away. Right. And so they're trying to kind of reestablish that. I think it's, I think 2021 really matters to see what that's going to be, especially when you're hiring a new um, head of your conference. It's going to be interesting to see who tries to put the most energy into being in that person's ear. Now, I would worry for the conference that if they did find some way to get Ray Anderson in as head of the conference, if I was the Pac-12 North, I would probably combine my powers to just make a massive stink about that, even though I think Ray Anderson actually has a Stanford background. Um, I would, because the Pac-12 North feels, they often feel unheard. The mountain schools often feel unheard. USC complains a whole bunch about, you know, getting, getting screwed at times, but there, there are a lot of people who just don't feel catered to. And then the Arizona schools are always rumored to be flirting with not being in the conference anymore, even though I've never, uh, obviously, you know, I I think that uh, Michael Crow's attitude toward Larry Scott goes to show that those uh, rumors are, are, are far from anything built in reality. So um, I think it's really going to depend on the hire they make you who if you see somebody wield if you see the northern schools wield their power to make sure that it's not ray anderson and it's somebody that would have more sympathy to them i think your question's going to be answered as to who really has the power now um but if it ends up being somebody who like has uh southern california ties <laughs> or something like that then you'll know then then you'll know that even with uh their their slow demise um in national collegiate football relevance that, that the LA schools still um, have a, a, a overabundance of power in the conference. Yeah. I, yeah. I can make sense of that. Cause, cause everybody says that the PAC 12 is better. If USC is better and all of that, like, yes, there's some truth to that, but you, you really don't even need USC. What you need is dominant teams. Like somebody who is going to like that's been the problem in the Pac-12 is that they haven't had a team to just like just is pretty much unbeatable in the in the conference. That's why sometimes, like for instance, Alabama, you can count them in every single year. It wouldn't matter whether that was Arizona, USC, UCLA, Cal, whoever it is. If a team you knew was gonna stomp over the conference every single year, the way that that Clemson does in the ACC, that's all they would care about. They're like, oh, yeah. they're recruiting well. They're stomping on everybody. This is a good football team. Yeah, I, I can't envision a time ever when it's like Colorado or Washington State completely steering the no. ship. There no, were no, people, no. Th- th- there was a time when people talked about the inordinate amount of power that Oregon State's president had, but I think that was a longevity thing. Um, I I don't know, man. I, I, would, I, I would say that 
it's going to be an interesting proxy battle to see who has the most influence into hiring somebody to come in and take over the conference, which is why I think some people are going to argue for the idea of using a search firm. Why? Uh, so that they feel like it's more neutral. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, see, I'm in agreement with using a search for firm to give you, um, to give you good candidates and then you do something else. Like, like, and then you pick and choose from uh, there. What's the absolute most bonkers no, no possibility. The one thing you do not want to see. Um, anybody from Stanford. Um, so does that include Ray Anderson? No, I, I would want to hear what Ray Anderson's plan is. Like, like I need to hear the plan because Ray Anderson feels like part of the machine. Do you hear me? Yeah. And I want somebody who is going to, I want, I want Elon Musk to be in charge of the Pac-12. I want people to be like, yo, are you sure about this? Like, are, are we really going to send a rocket to the moon? You know what I mean? That That's who I want. I want Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. I want somebody who is a disruptor to be the head of the Pac-12 because that's what you need right right now. There I was a book I read by Ben Horowitz and they um it's a I forget the name of it, but it was a it's a management book and they talk about CEOs that there are two types of CEOs. There are wartime CEOs and peacetime CEOs. And sometimes that is the same person, but not usually that a war. And this is wartime for the Pac-12 figuratively. Yeah. And you don't need a peacetime CEO. Maybe, maybe uh, what, what, what's his name? No, he wasn't a peacetime CEO either because he found a way to ruin the officiating. Um, So, yeah, so you need somebody who's ready to go to war, who's going to be creative and realize that this is their one shot. You yeah. screw, it, screw it up, the conference is done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's true. You know, the, there's the, there's some yeah, there's some weird names you could throw out there. The former head of 24-7, Shannon Terry, former head of Rivals, Eric Winter. You know, um, there, there, there's who, who knows, you know, there's, there's a million different things that you, you could go down from different areas of business, um, to try to, to get this figured out. All I know is that there's a, there seems to be a contingent of people who think that Ray Anderson is the guy and you just got done getting rid of a Harvard graduate and tennis player and Ray Anderson went to Harvard Law School after Stanford and uh big big tennis guy. So I don't know, man. I, I I just um I think that it it isn't it doesn't make as much sense as people want it to. Ray Anderson as as Pac-12 commissioner. Could could he do a good job? Sure. Am I convinced that he has some grandiose plan? Um in place uh, that would be radical? Uh, no. And I, I think that they should have somebody in who's really going to shake things up. Would you be opposed to Donald Trump being the Pac-12 oh, commissioner? It is time to go today. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Man, we, we have reached that part of the program where Ralph has lost his damn mind. So yeah. Uh, do, do, do we have anything else, Ralph? I don't think so. All right. Well, yeah, that that further. I know people were listening and they were like, oh, well, <laughs> oh, well, the uh, the uh, ep- the episode's over. They've lost. You don't, you don't want to get our games on one American news network. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I don't even know where to find that at first and first and foremost. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you stream it. I don't know where to uh, find it. But, yeah, no, I, I might have to leave the <laughs> Leave, leave the Pac-12 because the because because the, the promos in between the games would probably drive me mad. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. Um, we will be gone next week, FYI. 
uh ralph is going on a vacation a like a honeymoon he's trying to get his wife pregnant again um (laughs) but the thing i forgot to tell you but i was waiting up to the end of the podcast because if you are here you have a treat you guys can text me and ralph from now on this is like the secret textoso number don't give it out to people only people who listen to the episode all the way to the end can get it and you will have it now 818-293-7547 that's 818-293-7547 we want to connect with you guys and you guys can text us and we will respond to you we're not going to tell you who responded or maybe we might but uh, you will get one of us responding to you. So this is something that we want to add for you guys. And we'll, we'll we'll see how it works out. We'll see actually how many people actually hear this because we're putting it at the end of the episode. Peace out. Catch you guys later.